All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris, and I am host of the Stellar Spark Show. And today we have a guest who is a college student, amateur writer, poet, and comedian. His name is Joey Thompson. He hails from New Jersey. And he is here today to share his perspective on a wide range of issues so that we gain a much better understanding of them. So I want to turn it over to you, Joey, and uh, so you can introduce yourself uh, for a few seconds here. Well, um, I'd just first like to say uh, thank you, Chris, for having me on the show. I appreciate it very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm glad you know that I have a platform to give my insight and share some of my ideas. So uh, big up to you for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just um, really happy that we're going to have this discussion. And um, I've been really anticipating this because I know we've been talking about it for the longest. So it's like, oh, when is he going to get on? When is he going to get on? I'm like, yes, I'm finally here. So can't wait to get into it with you, man. That's great to hear. Glad to have you here on the show today. So I suppose we could just get right into it today for today's episode. And uh, a lot of my viewers are familiar with the format. Uh, but today we're going to do a little bit differently. We're going to do an interview style type of uh, format here. And I have a few interview questions and then we're going to go into free forum discussion uh, after that. So the first question I have over here is... What do you see as the future of the U.S. now that uh, President Joe Biden is inaugurated? He was inaugurated uh, today and took the oath of office at about 10 of 12 Eastern. So what do you see as it relates to the issues of racial justice? We'll start there and then go to the economy and uh, some other issues that I wanted to touch on. The floor is yours for that one. Okay, so in terms of um, like general justice, what you said? Racial justice in particular. It's a very, very pivotal um, change for America. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot that's been going on. You know, there's a lot of, you know, incidents, you know, leading up to this event, like, the, like you know, the um, issues related to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. so many other uh, African-Americans who were gunned down at the hands of police right. and other incidents up to this has um, really put Joe Biden, in my personal opinion, at the forefront of these issues and i think particularly uh, the black community and of course me being african-american myself mm-hmm. um, we would like to see a change i mean of course i don't speak for all people or all black people but just from my perspective as a black man as a black man right. just um really want to see some change and reform with police and i think biden and kamala harris will be the people who will be able to implement those changes, especially with um, Kamala Harris being the first uh, minority African-American woman to be elected to the vice presidency, which is very, very groundbreaking, very mm-hmm. amazing achievement. Um, it's a long time coming. You know, it's just amazing that, you know, we are able to witness that moment in history. But back to the general um you know, issues as far as racial justice is concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed that need to be reformed as far as policing procedures, right. interactions with just even the neighborhoods, the communities, how people how people go about their days in their communities and just really, you know, bring back the um, relationships between law enforcement and civilians because exactly. My stepfather, actually, he comes from a different generation, and my father as well. They both come from like an older generation, but they remember a time in their particular cities where, um, you know, police would actually walk the beat. And mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, if something went wrong, you know, cops weren't necessarily afraid of somebody and weren't necessarily, you know, trying to gun them down and fear for their life because they knew who, the, who those people were. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was a big, you know, change in relationship with the community and things were safe. Things were safer and things were able to get done and things were more um, cohesive as far as the relationships concerned. And the neighborhood overall, you know, neighborhoods prospered greatly from those interactions. Sure. And I think over time, I feel that we've lost um, those elements. And I think, unfortunately, that is why... We are dealing with so many different things that's negative as far as this issue is concerned. So I think one of the solutions to police reform 
well, generally to racial injustice is police reform mm-hmm. because that is the most pressing issue today. Well, I absolutely agree with those statements in their entirety. Uh, and really appreciate your perspective on this because I really can't imagine what it's like to uh, be a black person in America right now. Uh, you know, given what we've seen over the last year or so, uh, the tragedies that have, have been going on uh, throughout this country. Uh, so I totally agree. Police reform is definitely uh, something that has to be looked at. Uh, and former President Trump made some modest, very modest uh, reforms as it relates to that. But much further action has to be taken on this. And I think it has to go down right down to the, the heart of it uh, with this bias that we're seeing in policing as it pertains to uh, racial profiling and other things like that, uh, I think that the police really have to be retrained and have to augment a lot of those things in order for that to be rooted out from within. I don't think uh, that could be done more as an external thing. I think it's got to be done more internally within these departments. And as the president, um, Biden has that authority to do that, uh, to, to regulate all the police departments and to set these standards, set a national standard and enforce this uh, national registry that they started through wide scale legislation. So I do think that that's that's an important piece. That's the first one uh, that I think. And then also to your other point about uh, how the communities interact uh, with the police, I think that we should have more of a focus on community policing at the local level. Uh, and then we should try to root out this abuse uh, the, of public trust, basically, uh, because we hold police in high esteem as stewards of our protection. And really, they shouldn't take advantage of that. They should uphold the, the laws as they are, and they shouldn't subvert them and uh, take advantage of their powers. And we saw that in cases like with George Floyd, where... Uh, these cops go rogue and it's an unfortunate situation causes loss of life so I definitely agree so moving on to the the second issue that I wanted to get to was uh, about the economy Uh, to your knowledge what do you think uh, needs to be done there could could just be some small scale things or as it pertains to the COVID relief right now that's scheduled to be debated in Congress again to get through there? Um, in terms of that, that's a very, uh, I feel that's a very complex situation because what we're seeing, at least from my perspective, is right now, obviously, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, people are still unfortunately dying. I think didn't the um, report come out, I think, this week or sometime this week that it was 400,000 people who were died, who have been killed because of COVID, I believe? I believe so. Yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. you know, very, obviously not something you want to hear, but um, obviously, yeah. you know, it's still indicated that, you know, we're still very much in this pandemic, you know, despite these vaccines being rolling out, been rolled out and stuff like that. You know, it's still a very very serious issue that's still affecting all of us, mm-hmm. you know, as of late. But I think as far as the economy is concerned, I think first and foremost, the businesses, they're, the small businesses, mean like your mom and pop shops, small restaurants, startups, mm-hmm. you know, no one can really get any traction because, you know, everything is so strict now because of safety reasons. So you have all these small businesses that are, you know, I mean, over the last year, they have like, you know, closed, mm-hmm. shut down permanently because they just couldn't keep up business. And it's a travesty. So I think what has to happen is obviously the, the vaccines, excuse me, are a big part of that relief because mm-hmm. if you get people vaccinated, you know, people will be more inclined to come back to work, you know, be able to refill those spots and generate more money and put more money back into the economy. Mm-hmm. And um, 
also besides that, what also needs to happen is, you know, we need to get more people obviously back to work because a lot of people also lost their jobs during this pandemic. You had people who were laid off, people who may have gotten let go for other reasons. And, you know, there's a big, there's like big holes in a lot of industries that need to be, you know, refilled. So I think once we get the employment back up to 100% and, you know, whatever time that may be, I think that'll be the first steps to getting the economy back on track. Yeah, I think those are great points uh, to highlight there. Because if we don't address the COVID problem, we can't address the economic problems. So I think that this new administration, I think they have to tackle the COVID virus itself, the disease itself, I mean, um, by first containing the spread, because it, as you said, it's affecting all these these businesses that are forced to shut down. They're being shuttered because of the, the pandemic. They can't operate effectively, and that causes loss of revenue there. And then for, for people as well, they kind of, some people can fear going in the stores and things like that and consumer spending goes down. So it's just, it's just a cycle because if businesses aren't producing, people aren't buying and the people aren't buying goods, then it just, it's a spiral that continues. So they have to get that back on track as it, as it pertains to the, to the virus with, uh, encouraging masks. I think is a good way to go and restoring up public trust in our institutions as well as the organization's mission and what they're supposed to be doing to effectively disseminate information to the to the people about how they should be beha- behaving in uh, these these uh, perilous times that we have so, first thing would be, I'd say, the, the pandemic's got to get under control. And then we would have to, they would have to do the economic stimulus, I think. And the last administration did the stimulus, but I think we're going to need more stimulus. Because, uh, as we heard in the news about unemployment uh, expired, and uh, that definitely cast a strain on many people so it's just it's a time filled with economic hardship for many people and definitely an unfortunate situation again so moving on to uh, my second question here so I wanted to ask your perspectives more about the the uh, protest last year and how that ties into the reforms, like how significant do you think those were in uh, calling for these reforms? And I know we see bills like the uh, the new Voting Rights uh, Act as, as well and other bills that are specifically uh, addressing this issue. So I just wanted to ask like, what was your perspective about that? And do you think that that prompted the changes that we're going to see here in this new administration? Um, well, firstly, um, I think this was, what, the third question, actually? Well, yeah, this is the this is the second one. The first one was, um, it was combined and then just one. But, yeah, this is the second one. Okay. Excuse me about that. But anyway, okay. so far as the protests are concerned well um actually i think it actually did play a pivotal role in this new administration because um, not just america but the world was able to see Mm -hmm. just you know the injustice and the sheer indifference to black and brown people that um law enforcement in some instances shows mm-hmm. and I think this was necessary as painful as it was this was necessary because it put you know this problem on the world stage and America was saying hey you know this doesn't just happen here it happens almost like everywhere to some degree and you have mm-hmm. people protesting in 
Australia, you have people protesting pretty much in almost every country you could think of around the world. Right. So I think the fact that, you know, what happened happened was a shame, but still I think it gave the oomph and momentum that, you know, the movement like Black Lives Matter and, you know, just the general protest, it gave, you know, it gave it a, a voice, like a world voice, mm-hmm. and it allowed a lot of people to get perspective on the reality of many minorities in this country and also around the world. So I think that was the motivating factor and also the fuel that was um, used to uh, get Biden and um, former Senator Kamala Harris to the highest offices in you know the free world. So I think knowing this... We now put them in the spot to make a lot of change, positive change. And, you know, if it weren't for these protests, in my personal opinion, maybe we wouldn't have gotten the necessary people mm-hmm. needed to make, you know, today a reality. Because, you know, a lot of people were unaware of police brutality, even up to this point, even up to that point in time, you know, with the murder of George Floyd. Right. So, with that being a catalyst, like I said, once again, as painful as it was, it may have been necessary for all those different, you know, elements and things in place to come together for this wonderful outcome that's happened today. So, everything happens for a reason, is basically, you know, my answer to this story. So, the protests were necessary and a lot of people, a lot of brave people got out there, you know, mm-hmm. spoke up, you know, they, they, they challenged the authority, and, you know, especially in our generation, Gen Z, and some older millennials too, can't discount them, but by and large, the young people, we got out there and we basically showed the world and said, look, we're tired of this, this has happened again and again and again, we, we don't, we're not going to stand for this. And something needs to be done about this. Something desperately needs to be done about this because we are tired of having to, you know, turn our televisions on. Mm-hmm. You know, keep the six o'clock news, the four o'clock news. Why is it that we see, you know, black and brown people, minorities, people of color who, who are continuously getting their lives innocently taken from them just because of a misconception or a misperception that was you know, had by an officer or someone who may have felt threatened. So of all those things in place, I think that was necessary for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden to get to where they had to go. So mm-hmm. now that they're in place as of today, this will be the beginning of, you know, what a lot of what a lot of people were trying to fight for the whole time. And in the ensuing years, we're going to find out and we're going to see what they're going to do about it. But I don't think there's anyone that's in a better position to do this than they are. So basically, long term, we'll see. But I'm optimistic. Yeah, we really have to find this out. And that's uh, something that remains to be seen. But it's really astonishing uh, in a country that prides itself to be uh, the beacon of democracy and things like that. And we have the 14th Amendment that says that everyone is equal under the law and things like that, but then these things happen. And it's so contradictory to me. It really doesn't make sense uh, in a 21st century society how to, how that these things still happen. And uh, given the divide in our country, I wanted to ask, what do you think can be done to heal? And do you think that, uh, obviously, Joe Biden's been a part of the uh, political establishment for some time, and do you think he could be like a change agent? Or do you think that Vice President Harris is going to be in his ear and recommending uh, policy solutions to him? How do you think that that uh, can work in a country that has been so divided uh, among, along racial lines and also ideological lines as well? Well, my answer to that is it's obviously not going to happen overnight. You know, these are these are very, very deep seated issues that has spanned centuries. You know, mm-hmm. as as much as people don't want to admit it, racism is basically in the DNA of American history. 
It is. I mean, we can go as far back as the 1800s, and even before then, when slaves were brought in the ships. But uh, then again, I don't want to get into all of that. But the bottom line is, it's a complicated issue, and I think how we go about bridging the divide and bringing people together is we have to remember at the end of the day we're all human beings that's right you know whether we're black brown asian hispanic latino or any other kind of race sexual orientation gender religion or what have you we're all human beings and mm-hmm. the important thing is we have to find common ground with one another exactly and find that mutual respect that a human being is due like I said, we may all come from backgrounds, have different ages, perceptions, and all kinds of differences. We may not agree with certain things, but at the end of the day, you know, no one should have to have their lives taken over something as, you know, trivial as a opinionated difference or, you know, something that, you know, someone else may not, you know, agree with. We have to learn as mature human beings, we have to learn how to, you know, learn to accept our differences, mm-hmm. embrace our differences, and work together for a common goal. And at the end of the day, we can all be better off as a society. And mainly, another point I want to address is mm-hmm. that we, you know, like I said, we all may be different, but, you know, the thing is, we don't necessarily have to like each other, but it's the respect that is the main element that we need to demonstrate towards one another. That's key, yeah. That basic element of human communication and human behavior, unfortunately, has been lost over generations. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, with that being said, I think what needs to happen now is Joe Biden has to be, in a sense, he, he, he has to be the person who implements policy, but unfortunately, due to his age and due to... You know, like how you said he was in the establishment for a long period of time politically. Of course, there's not going to be a lot of people that are going to readily come to his defense. Right. But on the other hand, with Senator Kamala Harris, I mean, there's also some controversial things of her, mm-hmm. you know, being a former senator and, you know, attorney, prosecutor in California, stuff like that. But, you know, moving past all that, what we really need to focus on is what can they do? to bring us together. What can they do? So I think, you know, going forward, they need to implement some things legislatively and throughout the nation, of course, to put some new elements and foster some new elements to bridge this divide because we need the, we need a new face of America because you have to remember for the last four years or whatsoever, we, the previous administration, you know, we've had nothing but misinformation. We've had racial bias. We've had sexism. We've had basically the worst side of America's past mm-hmm. that was represented by that former president, you know, President Donald J. Trump. And I think now that he's gone, he may be gone, but unfortunately the damage has been done over his tenure, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So now with him leaving... He may be gone, but now you have, you know, an economy that's kind of on the rails. Just going back to that other question you asked me earlier, you have racial injustice at an all-time high, public misinformation with institutions and incredible sources, conspiracy theories, you know, that are flying haywire, and you just have a general sense of animosity between Americans, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a shame. But I think now that we have a new face of the free world, and especially in our country, we can take this time to ameliorate some of the problems that have been plaguing us for so long. We can finally start to get back on track and maybe not get to a perfect union, but, you know, as one of those famous documents from the United States history, you know, a more perfect union. Mm-hmm. I think that's the uh, Constitution, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, it's in the preamble. Yes. So we got to get to a more perfect union. It doesn't have to be the best, but a more perfect union. And that can only be done if we have leadership that promotes, you know, unity, accepting and embracing diversity 
and you know just learning that we're stronger together you know we're never stronger when we're apart or when we're trying to fight each other because at the end of the day we're all americans and we all have a goal and we all need to work together so i think that is basically what needs to be done and it's good because joe biden kamala harris even as far as their um I don't know if you're familiar with this, but as far as their picks for their cabinet, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing because you have some Latino people, you have some Hispanic people, you have some African-American people, they do, LGBT, yeah. LGBT people, you know, you have a whole spectrum of um, diversity and different individuals with all kinds of different dynamics and religious backgrounds to bring to the table. And I think yeah. that is beautiful. And we should continue to promote that. And I think they'll be the people to get it done. And once they do it, we may be able to get back onto the road to recovery. And we may be able to come together once again and be the country we've always should have been and we're meant to be. So that's pretty much my answer. Well, I think that's a great sentiment and uh, wonderful uh, response there. So I just wanted to offer some comments there. Uh you know, it's been a long road uh, over the last four years. Like you said, we saw a lot of different things, uh, the the worst things possible uh, that resulted in a culmination two weeks ago. And I think that that's going to need to be addressed as well. The change of culture that's happened over the last four years in the, in the short term and then the longer term tensions that are in this country. But I think that rather than uh, looking at each other as uh, enemies or I'd say people we really wouldn't recognize or want to be around because they look or speak different than us, I think, like you said, we're all Americans. I think we should come together and have this dialogue in, in a civil way. Uh, I don't think that it's necessary to make a political point by condoning violence or committing violence. So I'm glad the former president came out and condemned that uh, in his farewell address, but it definitely was needed much sooner. Uh, And I think, like you said, uh, how this is going to be able to fester long after he's gone. Uh, This type of sentiment is going to be around. And it's got to be confronted and the misinformation has got to be stopped and they got to get right to the facts and be truthful uh, with the American public about different things. And I believe that they will do that. I think that uh, the Americans uh, that vote in that election, I mean, we, we saw the basically an election with one of the highest turnouts since the year 1900 uh, was... A very remarkable thing to see on both sides in terms of the enthusiasm and the support for the candidates. And obviously Biden got 81 million votes and Trump got 74 million votes. So a lot of that had to do with mail-in voting as well. But the enthusiasm really is important on the part of our generation. And uh, you know, I think that our generation is very tolerant, way more tolerant, uh, and up and coming. So I think that we need to be uh, leading this into the future as as, uh, young leaders as well, that we are the future and we have to make a bridge to that future. And what does it want to, what does it want to be? And what does it look like? And that's part of the picture that we have to paint here. Uh, not just in the next four years, but uh, for the rest of the century, basically. So I think that the work begins today. It's like you said, it's a new year and new things to get done. But it's all about being consistent. I think that Biden has been consistent in his public life, uh, irrespective of my opinions on him. I think that he has the best interests of the nation at heart. And... He's ready to work, as is uh, Vice President Harris. And so it all comes down to bring people together, bring people to the table, not just at home here uh, with different things, but abroad in terms of foreign policy. I'm really curious to see uh, what they're going to accomplish uh, in that realm. 
as it relates to our adversaries and our allies around the world. I mean, looking at uh, NATO and the EU as well. I know that uh, that kind of broke down a little bit over the last four years uh, with President Trump's posturing uh, towards the EU and uh, with our alliances. So I think that uh, President Biden, he's going to uh, be pretty standard uh, on the world stage. I think he's going to get out there and uh, make it clear that we're active and involved on the world stage. Uh, And we're also active at home here to rebuild uh, and take care of our own priorities uh, by unifying and appreciate, like you said, appreciating and respecting diversity and, you know, recognizing that's who we are now and this is where we're headed. We have to leave the ways of the past behind. And these things are going to flare up, these racial tensions, but we have to realize who we are and we have to try and move past them in a, in a conciliatory way. And I hope that uh, this new administration is going to be able to do that. So really, that's all the questions that I had for you today. Is there anything else that you would like to share uh, with the viewer, with, with the uh, listeners? I also have viewers on YouTube, so they're, they're listeners too. So I wanted to ask you if you had anything else to uh, share. Oh, okay. Um, just going back to, like you said, our future, you know. Of course, a lot of people, some people can take the last recent couple of years and be like, well, you know, there's no hope and, you know, there's so much that's not happening and, you know, there's things that, that, that just aren't panning out, you know. When is change going to get here? We've been, we've been through this time and time again. Well, you know, I don't mean to use the, cl- the cliche saying, but I guess I will use it anyway. Mm. But, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, you know. It wasn't. These kinds of things that, you know, we're wanting, you know, takes time. Mm. Yeah. I think the most important thing is, even though everything sounds well and good about making change, we also have to be willing to be patient because, good deal. you know, I'm sure you, Chris, as well as many Americans who are, you know, informed, you know, or aware that institutionalized racism other forms of uh, persecution and injustice the problem, the yeah. are still very prevalent in this country today that's right yeah so i think you know we have to find a way to overcome those things and basically find a way to restructure things in a way that benefits everybody and um Moving on to another topic uh, I want to revisit is the, okay. uh, the generational shift. So this is just my opinion, and I'm sure you know a lot of older viewers may be taken aback or slightly um, discomforted by this, but in my opinion, I feel that what's kind of keeping the country back is it's just it's just like boomers it's just like like just the baby boomers you know no disrespect to them but i just feel a lot of them are out of touch you know and have been in power for too long and i feel like they're just a matter of fact about this their status quo they're not really about you know at least now i mean of course when they first got in maybe they wanted to make change and they Mm -hmm. did in some instances but now it's just, it's been too long. You know, these things just have, you know, they've just been around and around and around, you know, and they've just gotten so used to things that when major things happen, it's just they don't respond in a way that needs to be appropriate for the time. Mm-hmm. So I think what that also alludes me to politically uh, for a suggestion is to propose that term limits should be placed on you know, senators, I mean, not senators, but um, like people who have been there longer than, people that have been there for like decades, for example, like someone like, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi, she's been there since what, uh, the 80s, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just after a while, when you've been in there so long, it's just so much changes, Things you know, change, like dynamics, yeah. people's tastes, cultures, and you've been in there so long and you get so out of touch with how things are going. You just become, 
maybe innocently, but you kind of become a little tone deaf to the issues that are going on. I mean, no disrespect to mm-hmm. my elders. I respect them greatly. They have a multitude of knowledge and experience I can learn from. And I'm very grateful for that. But at the same time, there are just things that, just in general as people, that at a certain point you have to let go. You know? Right. I mean, I understand, you know, it's the power of the office and having all those benefits, but, you know, you're not there to, you're not there to keep the seat, you know, stagnant. You gotta, you gotta keep it dynamic. You gotta keep changing. You gotta keep, keep people, new people in there to keep it fresh and to keep the country fluid, you know? And what happens is, like, what's how we're going through now is some of these issues that are going on could have been handled, in my opinion as well, more steadfastly if weren't for the lack of just action on the, you know, behalf of the um, senators and older people and legislative seats. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I, obviously, I have no background in politics, but just as an uh, just as an average American citizen, just just seeing how delayed some of these things are, it's just you just you just you just got to think to yourself like, couldn't this been couldn't this have been done sooner? You know. And right. with that, you know, I think that leads to a whole other new set of questions that need to be answered or even posed. So that's pretty much uh, how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. So well, now, I, what's that? Oh, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but um, I have one more thing if you didn't mind. No, no, okay. It's fine. So, um, so another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the earth. And that's one thing I think we also um, kind of kind of missed that's something i also personally wanted to talk about because obviously the planet is very important it is and I understand, yeah i understand you were talking about um kamala harris and joe biden on the national stage as um, world leaders obviously the foreign policy and whatnot but we also have to talk about you know the, the impact on the environment because at the end of the day you know we all have to live on earth and you know we haven't exactly found a new planet to inhabit just yet. I mean, I know Elon Musk is working on some stuff to get us to Mars soon, but yes. I don't want to rely on that too much. So, <laughs> And um, like I said, back to that with uh, the Earth. I'm not familiar with this, but I'm sure you're aware of this too, Chris, but... Uh, obviously, former President Trump took us out of the Paris Climate Accords. Yeah, which, am, yes. You know, really put us at a really, dis- a really big disadvantage as far as caring for the planet. I'm sure you remember he relaxed the um, some of the CO2 emissions on automobiles and carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, that's just so detrimental because. The environment and the earth is all we have. And if we don't take care of our planet, you know, I mean, where else are we going to go? You know what I mean? Exactly. And, you know, it's just really, it's just a shame that, you know, we we took ourselves out of that agreement because of him. Because we were doing so well up until that point. You know, we were one of the leading industries and countries and, you know, climate change prevention. We were monitoring climate change and. We acknowledge climate change and science, unlike the former, the most recent former administration has obviously denied. But the most important fact is now that we have a new leader and president, now we need to focus more on the economic, no, not economic, I'm sorry, the um, global um, carbon footprint and obviously the climate change issue. So now that we have leaders who believe in science, who believe in facts, in truth, through empirical evidence and study, I think this will also be good for the planet because now we can take times to um, take really take the time and really do what we're supposed to do and really fix the issues that are going on with the climate. Because I'm sure, as you're also aware, um, there's many people who know this too, probably, that are up on current events, but but the poles are still melting. They are, yes. And, you know, they said that by um, some year or some distant future, I'm just paraphrasing, I don't know the exact facts, but mainly, you know, the sea levels are going to rise, and you know, food availability may go down, and 
Your seasons may get messed up. I mean, that's just general knowledge, but I'm pretty sure none of that obviously sounds good to the average person. And the only way we can prevent that is, you know, we need to take the steps to make this a reality now mm-hmm. with climate change prevention. So we need renewable energy implementations. We need initiatives. We need to restore the Amazon rainforest and just stuff like all over the world. And, you know, it starts with us mainly getting back in that climate agreement that we were pulled out of. I think it was 2017 we were pulled out of that agreement, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, when he entered office, he also uh, withdrew from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You know, we have some talks, you know, with some diplomats in Europe and, you know, all over the world. And hopefully we have some constructive talks and, you know, following those, if they're successful, you know, America and the United States can, we can get back in those agreements and we can resume the initiative that we're supposed to do and we were meant to do because, you know, we, like I said, we all have to share this planet and it doesn't make things easier if the environment that we're living in isn't ideal because we need to have, you know, fresh air, clean water, you know, breathable air, and, you know, just a good quality of um, life. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it all starts with the climate change. And now that we, like I said, now that we have people that are in place, we can finally make that a reality in due time. So uh, as far as, you know, my personal inputs are concerned, um, that's pretty much all I have for now. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was, uh, funny with everything that was going on. I didn't mean to talk over you too much, but it's just my talk about these certain things. I get really excited because I'm a little bit of a amateur pie-solly person, poli-sci person myself. You know, I know a few people that are in the political arena. So it's just when I get a chance to speak about these kinds of things, you know, especially stuff that I do a lot of research on, just in my own personal time, I just find it really, really exciting to discuss. So I'm sorry if I may have seemed like I was interrupting you mid, you know, during our talks and everything like that. No, it's fine. Uh, I thought that that was definitely another interesting perspective you had there on uh, the climate crisis, which is ongoing still. Uh, Just a few comments before we uh, wrap up here. So as it pertains to the Paris Climate Accords, uh, I remember when that was initiated by John Kerry uh, during the Obama administration. And that was one of the first things that former President Trump uh, withdrew from. So a key reversal there. And now the U.S. obviously going to most likely re-enter it probably today uh, at some point. Uh, So it sends a lot of conflicting signals on the world stage. But one of my concerns I have is with the Paris Climate Accords and a lot of these other uh, agreements. I mean, I think it's really important for the U.S. to be involved on the world stage. Uh, But... It concerns me when other nations uh, don't abide by these agreements and it kind of goes to the detriment of what they're trying to do, uh, such as China and others, Um, because we need to work with China and other nations in order to reduce the world's carbon footprint. And uh, I think after what we saw the last four years, it's going to be even harder now to get them to the table because of uh, our reliance on these uh, basically unilateral actions um, and just going it alone. So I'm wondering like what kind of uh, message that's going to send around the world like once Biden uh, re-enters the Paris Climate Accords. But as it goes, as it pertains to like there's other uh, things that you mentioned. One thing comes to mind is uh fossil fuels and like the reduction in uh, emissions and it dropped by a lot in 2020 I'm not sure the exact percentage but I know it did go down uh, because many people weren't there producing uh, in these places uh, so there were less emissions so that went down and a lot of the destruction was slowed basically because that wasn't being produced as much and obviously factories come with their own externalities and negative effects and things like that so that was definitely cut 
but fossil fuels are going to run out by the year 2050 and we'll have to come up with a new solution for it. It's unknown if uh, Biden is going to subscribe to uh, help renewable energies uh, enough to the extent that we need them. Uh, I know that he promised in oral subsidies during the debates. I'm not sure if he's going to do that or not. Maybe that was just a talking point. Uh, we'll have to see about that. Uh, but one of the things that they would like President Biden to do is subscribe to a new Green, a green New Deal, basically. Uh, and he said that he's probably not going to do that. So I'm really curious to see like what his energy and uh, climate policy is going to be. Definitely accepting the reality uh, that the planet is changing and climate change is real is the first step. And then it's all about the policy initiatives and proposals after that. Because obviously if you don't believe in something, you can't do anything to correct it. If you don't believe the problem is there, you can't solve the problem. So I think that's really important to remember. And, yeah, I, I, I uh, have been looking into the initiatives of Elon Musk, and uh, Mars isn't going to be habitable any, anytime soon uh, here. So I think we better, uh, you know, focus on saving our own home before we go uh, somewhere else. Exactly. So that's really uh, what I wanted to add. Go ahead, yeah. So, again, this is, of course, Biden, uh, of course, newly elected uh, President Biden and uh, VP Harris. Mm -hmm. As far as now uh, our uh, relationship with foreign policy, I want to kind of backtrack to that topic. All right. So, obviously, we had an administration in the past who appeased the dictators, even praised dictators highly on social media. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 put us in a very very rough spot as far as our global image. So I think now we also have to repair our image in that sense as well. So now we have to basically reiterate to countries like questionable countries like let's say North Korea, China, Russia, Iran that you know we're not you know we're not playing any games now. We we you know. I don't know who Trump. I don't know what Trump told you in the past, but um, we're not Trump, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure that you know you do what you need to do, and you know you stop from doing crazy stuff because you know in the years that Trump was president, I don't know the story, so I'm paraphrasing. This is a general article I found, but generally through most of the articles I've researched, I don't know them specifically, but generally what I do know is Iran also increased their enrichment in nuclear weapons plutonium which some of the radioactive isotope to obviously um, create a nuclear bomb or nukes or any type of device in the last couple of years so that is uh, very concerning to me and it should be concerning to a lot of people especially around the world because you know you have countries that are um, you know on high alert you know with everything that's been going on Recently, up until this day, you've had, you know, war exercises going on, you know, over Alaska, over Russia, with, you know, plane flyovers, B-52 passes, um, you know, Iran making a lot of statements. So we need to get back on the stage of telling these, these questionable countries that, hey, we're not going to stand for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And whatever you're going to try and do, it's not going to work because we're going to make sure yeah, whatever you're doing doesn't work, and we're going to keep a very close eye on you. And I think that's one aspect of foreign policy I agree on. But at the same time, I feel conflicted about it because if you let's say let's just play let's just play like 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 for example let's just play like you're Iran, right? Yeah. I'm American, so maybe in your kind of way, you think that producing nuclear weapons is a deterrent to keep you safe mm -hmm. but to America it's like well that's all well and good but we don't feel safe if we have those weapons especially knowing that of course this isn't always the case but there are some sects of um, terrorism that has been known to be prevalent in that region of the world that's true. so it's not 
it's very disturbing understanding those things, the parameters, and knowing that those kinds, of, not all of them, but some people have access to those kinds of uh, weapons, and it's concerning. So that's kind of what I'm conflicted about because America has a superpower. I understand it, but at the same time, I kind of disagree because I feel like it really shouldn't be our job to police every nation in the world. I agree, yeah. And, you know, a lot of other people probably feel like, you know, oh, America, we're a bunch of imperialists. All they do is just, they, they, they take they take land, they kill people for the sake of freedom and democracy. Mm-hmm. We don't want your democracy. So right. to an extent, I do find some sort of sympathy with other nations, but at the same time, when you have a track record that is checkered as North Korea, as checkered as Russia, China, mm-hmm. and Iran, you kind of, as a, as a leading superpower, you're really just because it's like, well, I understand your, your, your frustrations, but, you know, you've done a lot of questionable stuff in the past. Have. Think about it. You look at North Korea, right? A few years ago, Kim Jong-un has his brother poisoned in an airport. Like, what is that? maintaining control of the regime through subversive subversive measures and uh it's the result of uh basically tyranny and you have you know china you know with their sneaky stuff you know them hacking us every once in a while you have mm-hmm. iran you know i'm sure you're aware of this too but they're controversial uh Death to America parades, stuff like that. Right. And and trust me, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that all people in Iran are terrorists. That's not what I'm saying at all. No. What I'm saying is mainly there are certain individuals in those countries who you know who've had a checkered past, and you know, unfortunately, even though I think it's not our job as good moral people of the world and as a country, unfortunately. To an extent, I think, unfortunately, that's something we have to do to ensure the safety of not only America, but even the world. Absolutely agree. And it's going to be the responsibility of this new administration to have checks on those different countries uh, as they're going to try and take advantage of uh, this change in uh, power here, the transition of power especially, is definitely an issue right now. Um, you know, as you said, you mentioned North Korea uh, and Iran. They're, you know, the two most uh, pressing dangers, I think, for uh, this new administration, as well as China, I think, is also uh, an up-and-coming superpower uh, that is going to try and uh, regain influence in the uh, South China Sea. So I keep an eye on China. Uh, there's really a lot to be said there in terms of their currency manipulation. And I, I think that the last administration uh, tried to basically deter that from happening. Uh, because Basically, currency, currency manipulation is uh, when the government keeps the currency constant. We can't do that here in the U.S., the government is centralized, so they basically keep the currency at a constant rate compared to other uh, currencies around the world. So that's essentially um, an abuse, and they've done a lot of other things militarily that I talked about on my channel the other day. Uh, like it's called basically salami slicing. Basically, they're making these small actions in the Pacific right now and they're clear violations of international law but you'll never notice it because they're so subtle and they're not over aggressive actions so like for example like in Nazi Germany for example in 1939 when they invaded uh, Poland that was like an overt aggressive act like that could be condemned and basically all the other countries uh, fell in line declare war uh, without all the backstory there going into that. But in this case, you can't see it because they're going into all these different areas and they're claiming these areas and then they're saying, well, 
if you're going to attack us, basically we're going to claim self-defense when in actuality it's China violating the law. So that's a real problem. That's a tricky situation for the U.S. right now. And I know as it pertains to North Korea, I know that they had a lot of concerns about the joint military exercises that we were doing uh, with South Korea and uh, the, the whole missile defense system, the THAAD missile defense system there. And they had some concerns about that. And I know that they put a hiatus to their nuclear program uh, in two years, two, three years ago, and then they started doing it again. Uh, but basically, it's all about survival with North Korea because North Korea depends on using those nuclear weapons to protect themselves uh, against the U.S. And it's all about, like I said, the, the realist perspective, the state survival perspective of things uh, that, you know, we're you're a big superpower. We're going to protect ourselves. And if you're going to invade our country, we're going to do something about it. So that's really their perspective. And it was really hard to make inroads there to try to get them to abandon their nuclear program. I want to see if uh, the new administration is going to be able to do anything about that because uh, my concern was that the Biden administration, Joe Biden specifically, President Biden now, uh, was saying that he was not going to legitimize the North Korean regime. So I know that other presidents in the past, like, for example, former President George W. Bush was saying, like, North Korea, Iran, and Cuba were a part of the axis of evil and labeling them. And that kind of antagonized them even more. And really, no progress was made up until the last administration, but talks have stalled. So I want to see what the new administration's policy is going to be on that. And then as it pertains to Iran, lastly, uh, Iran, there are a lot of conflicts uh, throughout the years with them. And they support... uh, terrorist organization in the Mideast, uh, known as Hezbollah, um, and they kind of terrorize Israel, who is an ally of the U.S., a longtime ally uh, since its creation in 1948. Uh, I think that the tensions have ramped up there with Iran in recent years because of uh, the killing of Soleimani a few years ago. And the withdrawal of the Iran deal as well. And uh, another agreement ratified uh, by the U.S. uh, And done by John Kerry and the Obama administration. So I'm curious to know if they're going to re-enter the Iran deal or they're going to redo the Iran deal. Uh, I think some things need to be redone with the Iran deal. There's a lot of opponents to the Iran deal. There's a lot of supporters. I do think it has to be redone though. Uh, in some way uh, to prevent them from reaching uh, a nuclear weapon because it could jeopardize Israel, it could jeopardize us, uh, depending on the, the range of the, the weapon. So I think the best case is to go to the bargaining table with Iran. I know they don't want to do that, but this administration, I think, it really has to focus on diplomacy rather than uh, deterrence in the Mideast. We really don't want to be starting another war in the Middle East uh, whatsoever and not take any provocative actions. So we have to, you know, hone in on that and show that we're willing to negotiate and do that. No, it's okay. But that's really what I wanted to add there for that. So any uh, final thoughts that you have here could be related to foreign policy, racial justice, the economy, any other issue, or just your own opinions? Um, no, actually, that's uh, everything that I have. So I'm going to be concluding uh, this episode uh, in a few, a few minutes here. Uh, I just wanted to say that I wish the current administration the best of luck. Uh, I really wasn't on board with Biden in the beginning uh, due to his career, but I do think that he's going to make up for it uh, with certain areas of policy here. And I'm I'm eager and curious to see what he's going to accomplish as as well as the entire administration. So I wish them the best um, for that. And I think the most pressing challenges uh, are going to be obviously here at home and uh, globally 
the COVID pandemic and uh, the rebuilding of the economy, and then also foreign policy. Immigration is also an issue that is really important. But I wanted to just say that, and I appreciated uh, you coming on today, Joe. I really appreciated having your perspectives and opinions, uh, and I thought it was a really insightful discussion. Gave me a, a lot more insight into what you what you believe and. Uh, what you think is the best for this country going forward. So I really thank you for that. Yeah, and uh, once again, Chris, uh, me and my dog toward the end <laughs> would like to uh, thank you for having me on here. Um, once again, it was an absolute pleasure being able to have this platform talking about all kinds of things regarding politics. And uh, hopefully I get to uh, come on the show again. Thanks. Yeah, sure. No problem. Absolutely. Uh and I just uh, want to thank everyone here uh, for listening today and tuning in. I know this is a l- bit of a longer episode, uh, about an hour or so, uh, but it's definitely worth it. It's definitely a uh, really engaging uh, discussion. So that's really all I have here for today. And uh, just wanted to say, uh, once again, be sure to follow the channel. Uh Stellar Spark Studios on YouTube and follow the social media as well. But that concludes our episode for today. And my name is Chris, and we also had our guest here, Joey Thompson. Signing off until next time. My name is Chris, and I'm host of the Stellar Spark Show. Signing off. See you guys later.